Today, we're talking to a seller who's doing about seven figures on Amazon. Amazon USA? Nah. Amazon Europe? Nope. It's on Amazon Japan. How cool is that? Wait, wait, hold on. Let me do this in Japanese. Dore gurai kakui no? Mecha kakui to omo yo? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I'm your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. We've got a serious seller on the line today coming from the other part of the world, coming from Japan. Nick-san, konnichiwa, genki desu ka? Konnichiwa, genki desu yo. Thanks, Bradley. Thanks All for having right. me on. Thank you for coming on here. In case you guys couldn't catch that weirdness that we were speaking, that was Japanese.、Uh, I used to speak a little Japanese. My Japanese is very bad right now, but Nick has been living in Japan for how long now? I've been here since 1995. So do the math. A long time. 1995. You're aging yourself since you were five years old, right? Since I was five, exactly. Yeah, no, since I was There you、uh, go. 20. But so. Shogakse no toki, ne? Shogakse. So, what, what brought you to Japan?、Um, it was actually, I didn't take a year out before. So, I'm from England. I'm from the UK. I normally take, so in, in the UK, it's quite common for people to take a year out before they go to university. And I didn't do that. So, I decided to take a year out after university. So, I came to Japan for one year and that kind of snowballed into however many years I've been here now. In fact, half my life. So, it was just coming out for a year just to work and just to see what the country was like. And I just loved it and didn't go back, is the, is the boring story. I do have a more exciting story that I tell people in bars, but I won't go into that now.、Uh, let, let, let's go, let's go to take it back a little bit more. Grow, growing up in England, what did you envision yourself as far as your career? Path would be like, you know, everybody says, Hey, when I'm, you know, big, I want,、uh, I want to be a fireman or I want to be this or that. Yeah, that's actually an interesting question. I, I don't know why, but I decided many years ago that I wanted to go to university and study accounting. Thinking back, I have no idea why on earth I would want to do that.、Uh, and I actually wanted to be, I thought I'd go into accountancy and then maybe in the future run a business, but this is all stuff that I just really didn't think about properly. And after I came to Japan, it just kind of just became the thing. It's it just something that I, that I ended up doing. You must have been an exciting teenager with your friends. There's the kid who wants to be an accountant yeah, when he really, grows up. The thing is, though, I mean, you have to, <laughs> the thing is, Bradley, see,、so、you don't, if you're from England, especially like 30 years ago, like in the States, if you're a good student, you go into law, right? And、okay. in the UK, it's different. The UK, at the time, there were six big accountancy firms、uh, in the world, the, the, like, like the big six, which have, which have since all kind of merged and it's become like three now. But of those six, five of them were from the UK. So a good student in the UK went into accountancy. So it's kind of like、okay. law in America. So it's like saying I wanted to be a lawyer in the States. It does sound way more boring, but it's, it was a really, <laughs> really good career path. You earn an absolute load of cash. Um, and that's what people did. That's what a lot of people did. I don't know if they do now because I've been out of the country for so long, but that it was, it, it's not as weird as it kind of just sounded coming out of my mouth just now. No worries. No worries. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. But, but so, so I'm assuming you, you started university for a year with that in mind,、yeah. right? Like as yeah, your、I、major. And then, 
you decided to go to Japan to work or to study abroad or how did no, that happen? It was, no, so, so, so I was actually given a job in one of these big firms, one of these big accountancy firms, because I studied business. So everybody on my course applied for these big accountancy firms and they give you a job yeah. and then you can take, and then you can take like a, you know, you, what's it called? A secondment. You, so you can go off and travel for like a year or two years. So I did that. I just came to Japan for a year just to kind of, just to travel, basically, I did. I did actually have a job here as well, but it was it was it, it, you know, it wasn't very many hours. It paid really well, so it was like a paid way of coming out and seeing Japan. And then I just didn't go back. Basically, if you look into going to Japan, if you're kind of younger and you want to go and live in Japan, there's there is a uh, there is a way you can do it really well. It's called the Jet Program, and it's where the Japanese government pulls takes out about I think it's six thousand. Um, university graduates a year and they work for between one and three years at a school in japan normally a junior high school or a high school and then the government yeah. and they pay for your flights out there they pay you a pretty decent yep. salary and so i came out for a year doing that interesting 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 my family has hooked up uh, some different people over the years to do something like that and they'll they'll teach in a school or a juku like a cram school they get set up with with housing uh, sometimes, yeah. and it's pretty a pretty nice way to to kind of uh, you know uh, immerse yourself in, in another country while while still getting uh, money at the same time. So, yeah. upon finishing your, your your teaching career there, like what what did you get into? For I mean, obviously you have to pay to sustain yourself. You know? Yeah. So after that, I kind of uh, I, I I'm a big believer in fake it till you make it. So I decided after those two years that I would become a translator, and that was actually before I really spoke that much Japanese, but I kind of, but it kind of forced me into learning Japanese. So I actually went to work for a company who stupidly paid me hourly, never pay a translator hourly. That's the worst thing you can do, especially if they're a bad translator. So I was paid like 40 <laughs> bucks an hour to translate really slowly. So I meant I could learn the language. I was paid a really good salary. I mean, this is going back, you know, 25, no, 23 years. Um, Mm -hmm. And so going Japanese to English, or? it was Japanese to English. Yeah, it was actually working. It was actually yeah. a computer firm who had the main offices. They were, it was a Japanese company that was bought out by an Australian company, and they, um, yeah, so the head office was in Australia. So the Japanese company had to speak to them and do. So, so it was like email translations. So I was doing the translation of the documents, the simultaneous video translations, and stuff like that. But I was awful. But there wasn't anybody really in my town who could who could yeah. do it. So I did it. So I did that, and then yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of where I learned my Japanese. They set the bar pretty low with, with translation because, you know, you go to Japan and Korea and, and you see the ones that don't have native speaking people doing the translations and you'll get one of my favorite slogans of all time. This was from a Korean company was it was for a, a, a body kit company. That's like these, uh, you know, like fast and yeah, furious kind of accessories for cars. And, and their motto was upgrade your sensitive. So like, I mean, there's they just come up with the like the the worst English in the world. So like, I'm sure you're better than, you know, <laughs> whatever they had before. Yeah, so, yeah. so you were doing that for a while. Now, at what point did you get into e-commerce? Um, so I got into e-commerce in 1999. So I started just a bit after I came to Japan. I really got into board sports. I got into snowboarding um, and then wakeboarding. And then from there, I started a like it was a fairly new sport at the time. It was called kiteboarding or kite surfing. If you're French, at the time it was called fly surfing. Mm -hmm. That really takes it back. So it was the very beginning of of kiteboarding, and I started doing that. Um, there wasn't anywhere to buy gear really. The, the sport had just started, and so the only gear was really in um, America. 
So I started importing my own gear to use. Um, and I had a friend in town who had started. And so we started our own kiteboarding business back in 1999, uh, importing gear. Um, and then from there, I actually opened a store uh, about a year or two years later. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of everything for me, I guess. I started, that's finally, I started my own business kind of organically without really thinking about what I was doing. I was, you know, still fairly young. And uh, yeah, grew it into one of the biggest kiteboarding businesses in Japan. So was this like on your own, like dot com or you know dot co dot jp, or was this on Rakuten or no, this how is, did this where'd is, you this get is, most of your business? This is a dot com domain, and you know what? I have just released the domain. I have not renewed it for the first time, and I got an email from GoDaddy about two days ago. Uh, so kiteboardingjapan.com, If you want it, it's available. Love it, love it. Now, at what point did you discover? Or did you start selling on Amazon Japan? Okay, you know what? So in presentations and stuff, I actually say I start I started selling on Japan in 2014. But thinking back, I actually was selling earlier because I so I had my own store. I had an online store, um, and I actually did start selling some of things like the DVDs, the kiteboarding DVDs and stuff uh, on Amazon Japan. I don't even know when that was. That it was probably about 2010 or 11 or something. So I started doing that. That mm -hmm. was kind of before Amazon was particularly big, certainly not particularly big in Japan, but it was easy. So that's when I started, I guess. Um, but I kind of made a conscious effort to sell on Amazon in 2014. And it was actually Amazon UK. And I was sending products. It was uh, online arbitrage. I was I had a friend that was doing it. So he mentioned it and I thought I'd give it a go. So I'd buy products in Japan and send them to the UK and sell them on the Amazon UK. And then I started on Amazon Japan itself in 2016. And at the beginning of 2017, I think that's when I went to move over to private label. So then in 2016 in Amazon Japan, were you doing arbitrage or what were you doing? In Japan, I started selling my own products, but it wasn't um, private label per se. It was, you know, white label. Um, it wasn't a proper private label. So that was in the end of 2016. And then in the beginning of 2017, that's when I went properly into private label, developing my, you know, developing my own products and starting my own- For the Japanese market. Japanese market and starting my own brand. Okay. And I went full-time pretty soon after that. Now, are, are, have you just been increasing in sales every year or did you have a peak year uh, or just every year it gets bigger? Um, you know what? It's actually stayed pretty steady for the last few years. So the last three, few, last three years, we've done over half a million in Japan um, I mean, looking back the last two, last year, it was about three quarters of a million. So it is going up. It's not, it's not had crazy increases in Japan, but I have moved a lot into Europe as well. So I do about the same sales um, in Germany and Japan, and then the UK is a bit smaller. So um, I do seven So we're talking about a quarter of a million dollars in just the Japanese three market? Three quarters yearly? in Japan, yeah. Three quarters, three quarters of a million. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I do seven figures between those two marketplaces, but not in Japan. But the sales have gone. Yeah, the sales have gone up. I've, I've, I haven't really focused just on Japan. So I've constantly been growing not just the Amazon markets, um, Amazon marketplaces, but also the sales channels. So we now sell on pretty much everything, all the online marketplaces in Japan, all the big ones certainly, and had a big push into retail at the end of last year. So I mean, a lot of the um, big box retailers, the electronic retail stores in Japan, although that hasn't been great, mm -hmm. obviously, during COVID. But 
I've I've kind of been working on diversifying the business as opposed to just growing Amazon Japan. Amazon Japan is pretty stable for me now, and the products that I create for the two brands that I have here, um, I actually look not just to Amazon but to take them onto other platforms um, in Japan. So, so when you say three quarters of a million dollars in Japan, is that Japan overall or just Amazon Japan? Uh, that is Japan overall. So it's so it's about uh, it's about half a million, just over half a million for Amazon. Amazon is still by far the largest um, of our sales here. And then, uh, is it Rakuten is maybe second place for you over there? Well, kind of yes and no. So. One of our first uh, online distributors was actually selling on Rakuten. So we actually stayed off Rakuten uh, specifically because of that, but they were buying a lot of products, um, a lot of our products to sell there. And it was only a trade show at the end of, no, the beginning of this year. And uh, I was doing a show and we had so many Japanese buyers come through asking if they could sell on Rakuten. I thought, you know, we should just be doing this ourselves. So we have actually just started selling directly ourselves on Rakuten. It has always been through um, another company. So it, so sales are actually pretty decent for us, but they have been through the other company, but we're just taking it up on ourselves. And that's literally been in the last two weeks. Okay. So the second for us actually is, um, if it's not distribution, it'll be our own site. We do pretty well on our own site now. Um, so we do about, uh, I think it's about 20,000, um, a month just through our own, um, WooCommerce site. Okay. H how do you find you know, product opportunity. Obviously, we don't have Helium 10 for Amazon Japan, but but how how do you find product opportunity? Like, are, have has this all just been built around one niche or one brand that you're just expanding out, or or do you just do random things where you find opportunity, or what's your process there? Okay, so before I answer that, I would like everybody who's listening to this podcast and wants to start selling in Japan and would like Helium 10 to support Japan. Can you send an email to Bradley saying, <laughs> uh, add the Japanese market? Just, just send him an email. So that yep. he support, support <laughs> at helium10.com. That's, that's how we decide. We're actually, in, the, in recent months, we've added uh, Amazon India was requested by so many of our users and, and Amazon Mexico. We actually just launched last week. So who knows? One day we can maybe do Japan if there's enough people selling over there. So most of our listeners probably aren't selling in Japan. So I think they'd be interested in just in your, in your process, because like, uh, is it just the same as, as other places or, or how do you even do it without a helium 10 for well, now? That's kind of the thing. So because I've been selling in Japan for a while, it's before there were any tools. And even now there are very few tools, hence the reason why I'm trying to get Bradley to add Japan to helium 10. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, there are very few tools. So you kind of have to, so you kind of learn to work without tools. So, you know, initially you do, you know, the 999 hack, which I don't even know if you can still do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then just, you know, slowly work out across categories what a, BSA rank, a BSR rank roughly equates to. And when, when you start selling yourself in a category and you can see your own sales and you can just go back and look at the numbers again and adjust. So that's pretty much what I did right at the very beginning. Is it basically a similar process that you're just oh, yeah. looking for where there's demand yeah. and, and, and just, you know, the competition is either non-existent or, or, or underperforming. And then you just go for those as opposed to just focusing on just one brand and just trying to, to build a brand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Amazon marketplaces, so I sell on, you know, several now. Um, I mean, Amazon is the same everywhere. Essentially, it's exactly the same. So it's exactly the same in Japan as it would be in America. There are some features missing from Seller Central. There are some features that we have that they don't, they didn't have in America. 
So essentially, the whole thing is the same. So however you sell in America, and there's a million different ways to sell, uh, different strategies, I mean, you could apply those exact same strategies in Japan. There's no difference there. The huge difference is that you just cannot assume that a product that sells in one marketplace will sell in the other. There are loads of products that will sell you know, hundreds a day in America and won't sell anything in Japan, and vice versa mm-hmm. as well. In the States, I'm specifically talking about America, if it's a very, very large marketplace and you are always told by people to niche down, so you, so you kind of go down into the subcategories and look for those hidden gems, the products that mm-hmm. you know, other people haven't found, that strategy will not work in pretty much any other marketplace um, and certainly not Japan. So, so, I mean, are you even selling, cross-selling across the platforms or is everything you sell in Japan pretty much unique or, or some of the stuff you sell in UK, you're also selling yeah, in so Japan I've, and vice yeah, versa? Yeah, so I kind of think that there are very, very few global products. There are very few products that will work across all marketplaces. So I have a completely different brand set for Europe than I do for uh, Japan. But actually... I'm kind of unusual as a seller in that I have been selling for, you know, full time for three years on Amazon and I don't sell in America. And I'm currently in the process mm-hmm. of taking my entire Japanese brand over to the States. Um, but until now, I have been selling the brand exclusively. It was designed uh, with Japanese in mind, but it's a, I think it's a brand that should work in other countries. So I'm going to give it actually a go selling it in the States. But no, it was okay. it was designed and it is yeah. The two Japanese brands are currently only being sold in Japan. All right, now let's take it back a little bit. You know, you you know have a unique uh, advantage over others who might be considering selling in Amazon Japan due to you know living there and basically almost being Japanese. You know, now by 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 spending most of your life I there, but uh, yeah. You are Japanese. Like instead of cats, it's a uh, Katsumoto or something, something we should change your, your last Nikokatsu. name to. So Tonkatsu. Exactly. Tonkatsu. I, was actually, I was actually called Tonkatsu for the first few years in Japan by, by my Japanese <laughs> friends. Yeah. I love Ni- it. So by the way, for, for our listeners here, Niku means meat and Katsu means yep, a cutlet. Yep. So, I, so, so my name actually means meat cutlet in Japan. They have a dish called Tonkatsu, which is a pork cutlet. So yeah. I love it. <laughs> yes. Everybody, you know, pretty much, if they know one, you know, Japanese food, you know, other than sushi, it's either teriyaki or tonkatsu that people could. So that's great how your name worked out like that. But anyways, I almost forgot what I was talking about here. For somebody who is not as Japanese as you, you know, like just say me here living in, in California, yeah. you know, I might have some ties to Japan because, you know, 20 years ago, I lived there for a couple of years, but, you know, in actuality, I don't, you know, I don't have an address over there anymore. I don't have a bank account. I don't have uh, almost anything uh, over there. So how would somebody like me open up an Amazon Japan account? Can you walk me through that process? So coming back to what I mentioned just uh, a second ago, Amazon is the same in every single country. Everything you do is pretty much the same. I mean, there are small differences when it comes to things like the VAT for Europe, blah, blah. But basically, it's the same. So if you're an American and you want to open an account in, or if you have opened an account in the UK or Germany, you go into Seller Central, and then there's a a section in there where you can add marketplaces. So that's exactly the same for Japan. Now, I swear I looked into this like maybe a couple years ago. I thought that... Or to have an Amazon Japan account, you almost had to have like 
somebody working for you that had an address、yep. in Japan for like returns or or to to be your spokesperson or something.、Oh. Like this was like two or three years、okay. ago. That's no longer the case. Like you can just be a hundred percent. In America or UK or wherever, and not have to have boots on the ground over there.、Uh, you never had to have boots on the ground. So what I think you're you're you probably mean there's a couple of things it could be. In theory, you are supposed to have Japanese language support. That is actually an official requirement from Japan. So that's one thing that you may be thinking of. The other thing. Is when you import a product, if you send a product specifically、um, directly into Japan, sorry, directly into a fulfillment center in Japan, you have to have、um, an importer in the country. So you cannot, as a, for example,、ah. American seller, you cannot send a product directly into an FC without going through either they're called an importer of record. I'm actually a Part owner and an importer of record companies, so this is kind of right up my alley. But、um, you have to use、uh, an importer of record or something called an ACP,、um, which is a little bit different. That's actually kind of like a proxy importer. So you are the importer yourself, but there has to be this Japanese company there. That is a requirement from Amazon. So that may be what you're talking about. So to use the FBA, you're talking no, about? No, yes. Well, yes. But it's not just FB. I mean, for example, if yeah, but if you want to sell your send your products, for example, into Amazon fulfillment center to, you know, to be able to ship to use that as your warehouse to ship to other,、yes. you know, to to fulfill your Shopify site, for example, it would essentially be the same problem. Yeah, but like if I just open up, I can just open up an account right now, and if I'm fulfilling by merchant, you know, I'm shipping from from California directly to. To Shinjuku, you know somebody there. I don't have to do. I don't have to get any of that、oh, right. stuff. FBM, yeah, FBM. No, that's totally fine. You can do that. Okay, so、yeah. then, you know, I, I think most people, especially doing private label, and、uh, you know, they would want to do FBA because they realize, you know, most、yeah. Japanese people might not want to wait, you know, three weeks for a product and they might not buy it. So, how difficult is it to get what you're saying is necessary in order to use FBA in Japan? Oh, it is. It is really easy. It's not. It's not a difficult thing to do or difficult procedure. It's just something you have to do because I'm involved in IOR company every day. We get emails from people that sent products、um, directly into Amazon Japan, and their products are stuck in customs because there wasn't an IOR, there wasn't a, a, there、mm-hmm. wasn't an, a Japanese importer listed. So that's why I kind of yeah. So if you are aware that you need an IOR or that you need an importer, it's not a problem at all. There are loads and loads of companies that do it. They charge you know it's not a lot. It's it's normally per shipment. You know, we charge like fifty dollars a shipment, and that's it. That's all you have to do. You just have to pay the money to the man, and then you'll be able to get the products in no problem. Is that you can't send you? So when products go through customs, you can't just have a shipper and then the ship to address. There has to be、uh, customs has to be able to see a Japanese address listed there as well. And that's、ah, if there is a、okay. problem with customs, if duty or tax hasn't been paid, if they have questions about the products themselves, they have to be able to contact. There has to be somebody responsible for the products in Japan. And this is probably a bit more information than you need, but it actually, it's、oh, important stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, it comes down to who's responsible. So in Japan, it's the the company who imported the product, the person who's responsible for bringing the product into the country. They are. Basically, the person who is responsible if there is a claim from a customer, even years down the line. So, whoever is your, you know, IOR, whoever is your importer, is actually responsible not just for bringing the products in, but they are. They will eventually be the person responsible if there are any、um, uh, liability claims for the product later on in the future. So, yeah, this is something. Then, like, 
you know, if I had a childhood friend in Japan, which I'm sure I, I still do, mm. but it's not like, hey, can you be this? Because can you just put your name on this? This is actually kind of a serious thing. Like yeah. in the very rare situation that something could happen, you really want a professional because you're pretty much making your friend sign well, that's kind of the <laughs> signs thing. of liability. Yeah, so, for- so Japanese people, they're not very litigious. It's not like the States. So it's very unlikely that's going to happen. But and I think a lot mm-hmm. of people do use their friends as the as the address and the name, which I think is kind of is fine to do that. It's totally fine to do that. But most people are not aware that <laughs> I mean, in the very, very unlikely chance that there is an issue, it would come back to that person. But I wouldn't it's it's so incredibly unlikely I wouldn't really worry about it unless you're, you know, you are selling um, I don't know, shotguns on Amazon Japan, which is probably not very likely. So yeah. I mean, yeah. Just something to be okay. aware of. All right, good yeah. to know. So, you know, we we, we talked about, uh, or you talked about how a lot of the things are kind of across the board on Amazon Japan. You know, I know they have uh, brand analytics and 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 they've, you know, oh, yeah. you've got BSR and and there's FBA oh, yeah. and there's FBM and so many things are, are, are similar. Yeah. What about PPC? Like, obviously they have PPC. Is it pretty much the same setup? Like, do you find yourself paying more than you do in, in Europe, less than you do about the same, like, you know, cost per click and things like that? So cost per click in Japan is a lot less. So that's one of the main reasons wow. why, the, the, why the Amazon Japan marketplace is my favorite of the marketplaces that I'm in, in that... It's. I mean, for me, it's. It is by far the highest profit uh, margins, and a lot of that is due to things like PPC is is a lot cheaper. How do people search in Japan? Like, you know, uh, for, you know, for those who don't know, there's there's different alphabets. You know, the, of course, you can do in Roman uh, Romaji, right? And then we you you've got hiragana, which is the basic alphabet, which makes up the complicated, like more Chinese alphabet, the kanji. Yeah. So, like. Uh, I'm just I'm just trying to say like you know you, you could have one word in like three different ways almost to write it like how how do you how do you target that in PPC or or how do you know that what people are searching for? Oh, that is that is a very very good question, Bradley, and it's it's such a difficult thing to answer. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I, I have a I have a I have a Facebook group that I started you know uh, four years ago about Amazon Japan, and I would write these really long posts about the Japanese space and like I'm talking about a space between words just because it's mm-hmm. so important that people understand it but nobody understood understood what I was waffling on about it's so so Japanese is really hard because as you mentioned there are three alphabets but it's not just that there's also so it, it's the way that words are put together so in Japanese as you know Bradley that there are there are no spaces in Japanese all the words are put mm-hmm, together mm-hmm. So it's kind of like Chinese in a way. But the way the Japanese works is that the unlike Chinese, which is just all the kanji characters all strung together, Japanese has those other two alphabets, the hiragana and the katakana, that kind of breaks up the kanji and it makes it easier to read. Uh, it's very hard to read Japanese if it's all written in katakana or all written in hiragana because there's no spaces and the kanji helps to break it up. So if you look at a text, if you look at like a page of Japanese, you'll see that there's no space there. So when you think about keywords, you think about, you know, um, people call them keywords, but they're obviously f- often or usually phrases, you know, let's use the, you know, long ha- long handled stainless steel garlic press. There are going to be spaces in there. Yeah. But if you were to write that in Japanese, yeah. it would there wouldn't be any spaces there at all, right? And to mm-hmm. make things even more difficult, there are different types of uh, spaces. There's like a, 
to make it really easy for here, there's a, an English space and a Japanese space. So it's not just the three alphabets. It's the fact that you can have a space or not have a space. So Japanese don't, doesn't have a space in Japanese as, as a language. But when people put things into a search engine, they often put a space in because they assume that it helps a search engine find things better. So there's all these factors you have to think about. And the only way to really, so I've been looking at this, you know, for years. Um, so the only way to really find out what's going on is just to test. So a good way of doing it is, for example, if you start a new PPC manual campaign. So first of all, you, you, you can look at your auto campaigns. You can look at, um, if you look at brand analytics, you'll notice that, um, you know, st I know, stainless steel garlic press with a space, for example, would have, um, way more searches than stainless steel garlic press without a space. So you can you can find these things in the brand analytic reports or the or the um, PPC reports to kind of find out which ones are better. But when you create your own manual campaign, what I normally do is just have lots of different variations with spaces, without spaces. You can try kanji and the hiragana, blah, blah, blah. And then you could just see which one has impressions. If there's no impressions for one of them, then you know that Amazon is basically putting them together. So going back to your original question, which is about the actual alphabet itself, Amazon Japan is pretty good with that. You can write a word in kanji and it will, it will kind of show the search results for hiragana and katakana as well. But the, you'll really see the differences if you add a space or not a space between the um, the words in the keyword phrase. That's where you see different results. And you can test it yourself really easily. Just try and find a Japanese word or Japanese two words and could search for that on Amazon Japan, searching it with a space, searching it without a space, search with it in kanji, search with it in, in, in hiragana, and just see if the search results are different. And if the search results are different, then you know that Amazon Japan is treating them as different. And then you kind of have to add those in um, to your 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 PPC reports. This is probably going way more detailed than we want to <laughs> this podcast. No, hey, <laughs> that's important to know. You know, we, we don't want people to say, "Oh, hey, uh, you know, Nick and Bradley said it's super easy to uh, super easy to to rank in Japan and to do keyword yeah. research." Uh, people need to know the the truth of what's going Can on. Can I just there. quickly add something here because this is something I really really believe very sure. strongly about. So. Um, my, so one of my main marketplaces is Germany. I don't speak a lick of German. I do have a German VA, but I don't know the language at all. I actually do the PPC for Germany and I don't understand a damn word of it. And I think that's my advantage. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my killer weapon. You know, I don't care that I don't know because I just look at the data and I make choices based on the data and you should do the same for Japan. Sure. If you don't know the language that kind of helps you when it comes to PPC, because PPC reports should be based on the data. If you're seeing a profitable keyword, you use that keyword. If you if you see an unprofitable keyword, you take it out, you negative it, you lower the bid, whatever. It doesn't matter if you know the language or not. And it doesn't really matter if you understood anything I just told yeah. you about spaces and crap like that, because the data will show it to you. So you just copy and paste that and use use what it shows. And then you kind of can do better yeah. than a Japanese person who understands the language and, it, and, it, and has a bias. You know, if you have a bias, if you think, oh, that keyword must be popular, People use it. If you don't understand what, true, what the word true. is, you know, you and, and you see that it's not making you money, you take it out, even though, yeah, I think you get the point. Yeah, I, I think that's important, but uh, it kind of like almost goes back to your fake it till you make it thing. You can do that in a, uh, analytics because the data is yeah, data. Exactly. Now, one thing I don't think you can do this, or not I don't think, I know you can't do it. So I, I'm, I'm curious to get your insight is, is something that you can't fake it till you make it or, or just use Google Translate is like your listing optimization. Right. You know, you, you got, 
here in America, we see a listing and, and there's the stigmatism like, oh, this is made by a, a Chinese yeah. seller or a foreign seller because the English is oh, so yeah. bad. And it kind of just turns you off as a buyer. So yeah. I, I would assume the same thing is in Japan. All the, this listing is obviously made by a gaijin, yeah. you know, by, by a foreigner. You know, you don't want that stigma. So so then if somebody doesn't speak Japanese, then but, but at the same time, if you're just hiring a translator, you know, it, it's not the same as somebody who understands Amazon who can look at data like is the only thing you can do hire just a regular translator to and then give them your English listing or or how does somebody from Europe or America coach somebody to trans you know to, to make a listing in Japanese? Yeah, you 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 hit the nail on the head there. You get a translator, you get a good translator if you can afford one and you want to sell stuff, and you get a cheap translator on Fiverr if you just have no idea what you're doing. Um, yeah, you have to have a translator. Google Translate will not work. It doesn't really work for any language, to be honest. Um, not. To the time to the to the level of actually a listing anyway i mean i use google translate if i'm replying to an email uh, for italy for example but if you're making a listing yeah you have to have a translator finding a japanese translator is not going to be difficult if that is your main hurdle for starting in japan then you know don't start <laughs> don't start in japan you just get a translator there's lots of translation agencies make sure you get a decent one don't try and be cheap you actually raise a very interesting point just a second when you started talking about this saying that you don't want people to think that it, the listing is being made by a foreigner you actually kind of want people to think the listing is made by a foreign company or a foreign business but not a chinese mm. company so if you write a bad listing if you have a listing that has really bad japanese in it japanese people will assume it's chinese and that is the worst thing you can do japanese people don't like buying products if they think it's made in china Japan is full of Japanese people and they want to buy Japanese products, but Japanese products are expensive. So they realize they have to buy cheaper products and they'll buy a cheaper product on Amazon and they'll just kind of close their eyes and pretend it's not from China, even though they know it's from China. But if there's a problem with it, instantly in the reviews, oh, this is a Chinese product. I should have bought the Japanese one. And I read it thinking, yeah, you should have bought the Japanese one. It's twice the price, but it would have been better, right? <laughs> but yeah. so if you, if you write a bad listing, they, they'll instantly jump to the assumption that it's Chinese and that's an instant off that's an instant like do not do that so but japanese people do want to buy stuff from foreigners that's why you should if you're australian american german you should write you know german company german design you should write that in the title in the bullet points you should make japanese people be aware that you're a foreigner they like that they just don't want you to think they don't you don't want them to think that it's chinese so definitely yeah any translations done into a language like japanese which is has to be cultural translations but pretty much all translations have to be even if you're going from america to the uk you've got to be aware of the differences but when you go from yeah. america or english to german or english to japanese if you don't get the cultural translation right it's just absolute you know it just will not um, resonate with the customer at all good to know all right. Well, I mean, the, I have more questions. It's hard to believe we've taken this uh, much time already. There, there's so much uh, I have to ask about Amazon Japan. And I think you've piqued the interest of some people. But before we get into how people can reach out to you for, for more information, we always have a part of the show we call the TST, or the TST 30 second tip. So for somebody interested in selling in Japan or who is selling in Japan, what is something you can say in like 30 seconds or less that very valuable, very actionable that they need to know about selling in Japan? Okay, so I would say, coming back to the kind of the original product research, just know that Japan is not the same as other countries. Um, it's, you know, uh, it's got 120 million people, so half the population of Germany, sorry, half the population of America, double the population of the UK. So it's a really, really large population. It's a really small country. So small products work really well here. Products with small houses, small pets, small, you know, miniaturize everything. So just 
If you're not sure what to sell in Japan, go onto YouTube, look at what a Japanese house looks like, and then decide what products you want to sell if you're in the, like, the home decor space. Just be aware of that Japan is different, and you can find that on YouTube and a Google search, and then target your products to that uh, customer. Okay. Now, if anybody wants to find your Facebook group or to just find you on the interwebs, reach out to you, how can they uh, find you? Okay, the easiest way to probably find me is through uh, a website that unfortunately I haven't been, um, a blog that I haven't been blogging in for a while, but it's the japanguy.jp, all one word, the japanguy.jp, not .com, that's a different guy. Um, but you can at least, there's a, there's a contact form there and you can contact me through there. That's probably the easiest way. I've got a, a Facebook group called J um, Amazon Japan PL. So you can, uh, I, I tend to rant in there most of the time. Um, so that's a, probably a good place to contact me as well. Okay, excellent. Now, what, what's the, just real quick, uh, what, what's the current situation as far as people going into Japan? Uh, you have to quarantine? Uh, what's the word? Like, because I'm planning to go spend a month in Japan, January to oh. February. If it's open, is that going to be, you think it's going to be open by then? Or what's, what's the situation? You, you know what? I haven't actually checked the very latest for things like Americans. I know that, you know, I'm from the UK and as of, uh, nine days ago, I am now allowed to go to the UK and come back. So that will probably give you an idea. I am in Japan. I live in Japan. Um, I've got a Japanese visa. And up, if I had left the country uh, in August, I wouldn't have been able to come back. So I can now come back. I have to self-quarantine for two weeks. So I'm assuming that nobody from outside Japan um, is able to come in at the moment. I know that there are talks with other Asian uh, other Asian countries like Singapore to open these kind of I can't remember what they call them gateways where the where the, the people's people from those two countries from Japan can go to Singapore and S Singapore can come to Japan. But that's that's pretty much the extent of it at the moment. So definitely you won't be able to come now. And I don't know when they will open up the um, the doors. Obviously. This is the big news yesterday. You know, the, the the Japanese government is saying that the 2020 Olympics happening is going to happen next year, COVID or not. And but we don't even know if you know if spectators, people will be actually be able to come and watch it or not. So we just don't know. So just obviously check the uh, just check the net, find out. I'm not sure at the moment. All right, sounds good. Why? Thank you for your time. All right. So we will talk to you later. Um, I'd love to hear from you next year to see how you've expanded your your business both in 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 Japan and also how your your US launch you know has yeah, worked out for you. Yeah. All right. So we'll yeah, talk to you next yeah, year. Definitely. Okay. Thanks so much, Bradley.